Hi, my name is Sam Fudo, and welcome to the Understanding Healthcare podcast. Today, I spoke with Dr. Ruby Wang, Managing Director at Lintrist Consulting, delivering health and tech policy analysis and strategic partnerships across Europe and Asia. Dr. Wang is a physician leader with a myriad of clinical, health policy, and health technology experiences, including serving on the front lines in London during the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as at the United Nations in China and the UK Foreign, Commonwealth, and Development Office. We discussed her career spanning clinical medicine, industry consulting, and health diplomacy, the promise of digital health technologies, and the importance of global cooperation and strategies to improve health outcomes. So, here's my conversation with Dr. Ruby Wang. First, Dr. Wang, thank you so much for, for, for being here. It means a lot, um, and, and thanks so much for making the time. No, of course. Thank you for having me. So, you know, your experiences across not only clinical medicine, um, but also digital health and global health uh, give you a unique perspective on both the challenges and opportunities that, that lie ahead in healthcare. So I was first wondering if you could talk about uh, your path to medicine and how you sort of gained a passion for patient care. Yeah, I think that's a great question to start off with. Um, and I think like most doctors, the path to medicine starts from when I was really young. Um, I remember in a lot of cases for all of us, actually, you know, you have a family member that becomes sick and then you become inspired to help people. So for me, it was around about when I was 10 years old and my grandmother was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer with about two, three months to live. But then somehow at that time, there was this new drug um, called imatinib, now very well known as a like a miracle cancer drug. And she was put on trials for that. And she's still, you know, alive and thriving 20 years later. So for me, at such a young age, seeing that the difference that one medicine could make, that a few doctors could make to someone's life was really incredible. And then on the other hand, um, I was always really interested in art and science together. It's quite crafty and liked making things. So for me, the idea of actually using my hands to make a difference, particularly in surgery, was really, really exciting. Um, and then obviously since then, I think my career has revolved in and around health always, moving from kind of clinical medicine out onto tech and um, into policy. Um, but I think for me, wherever I go next in my career, it's always going to be revolved around health. And currently um, I'm the director at Lindris Consulting. So I'm trying to bring together all of these various passions I have around health. Um, so including kind of on health policy and tech across Europe and Asia, drawing on the collective work experiences I've built, working in government for the UN, um, for startup, for big pharma and big tech, and also bringing in my own uh, multicultural background to having lived and worked both in the UK and China and being British Chinese as well. So I think health is where I started and it's where I'm planning to go. And I think the passion for patient care, as you really nicely put it, like obviously continues onwards. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sort of perfectly leads into the, the next question in terms of bringing those different experiences together. Um, obviously, aside from, uh, from your work as a medical doctor, you have extensive training and experience in public health and, and healthcare policy and management. Why do you think these areas go hand in hand uh, with patient care and what value does that medical background that you have, uh, you know, what does that bring to work in policy reforms to improve uh, population health? 
Yeah, I think population health is an area that all sectors are looking at really intently right now, not just health professionals and public health experts, but also those working in economics and politics, um, because we have to because of the pandemic. And I think that's why it's such a great time um, to be focusing on health, because there's attention and there's drive and there's momentum and there's resource. But at the same time, it's so very difficult, as we've seen throughout the pandemic, the way different countries have dealt with um, policy reforms, with policy decision making to try to protect their individual populations, but oftentimes, you know, not able to do that um, in real time because everyone is still learning, failing to act properly, not recognizing who should be responsible, um, who has the, te the technical insight in order to make the right or wrong decisions. And I think the issue is really that um, there's such a diverse uh, and wide map of stakeholders and each of the actors have such different agendas and strengths and weaknesses. So, I mean, you know, very, really obviously there are public health experts and they have knowledge, but maybe based in specific regional contexts, quite specific, and at the same time, very high level and theoretical often. Um, and they can be caught in systems and bureaucracy and not having um, great enough channels of influence to then um, act or make decisions. You obviously have doctors and healthcare professionals who are on the front line treating patients directly but you know, speaking as a doctor myself, um, and then having moved out of that space, I can see how um, frontline uh, professionals can be caught in the weeds, focusing on the individual rather than the population, and so focused on technicality and the need for kind of evidence-based decision-making that there isn't often enough imagination or a strategic longer-term foresight into how higher-level policy decisions should or could be made. Um, you obviously then have patients who are the core, core piece, um, those that are directly affected. And that makes, you know, specific patient populations, but also each and every one of us, because we're all human. But we are also diverse in, in our bodies, in the way we interact with the world. So it's such a huge, almost impossible task trying to take into account the needs of the individual patient. And then, you know, the, the major big bad triad, we have kind of industry and business who have plenty of resource and capital and um, an exciting pace of movement because they are driven by certain agendas, not just financial returns, um, but maybe those agendas might not directly align with the benefit of health and well-being for the population. Um, you have government, politicians and leaders who are very influential, but then they are driven by their own kind of geopolitical, economic, personal agendas as leaders. And they often don't have enough knowledge or even resource to act or deliver. And even when they are equipped with great scientists and great advisors, they might choose not to listen to them by, by various tainted reasons or otherwise. And then at the very highest level, I guess, um, are the multilaterals, um, United Nations and other um, who are meant to hold all of the other actors to account for the decisions that they make and ensure that there are rights, there are right regulations, but actually um, 
you know, what power do they actually have to hold nations, individuals accountable? Mm -hmm. Um, Their channels of influence are on the surface, very strong, but actual, actually in reality, um, quite weak as we've seen, not just in health, but in in other streams as well in, in the past two, three years. And they are often slowed by their bureaucratic mechanisms too. So, I mean, that's a very long list, but you know, it's how to bring this collective together to ensure that um, we align on values and collective goals in terms of health policy. Um, And I think something such as the pandemic um, has really showed us um, that, you know, mistakes can be made. We can, you know, nations lost their way and found it again and lost it again. It was this very strange it was almost when the pandemic broke out across the world, each nation did their own thing, opened up, closed, did different types of lockdowns. And it was like seeing a randomized controlled trial play out around the world, but with no true control. And to scientists and doctors and technical professionals, it was kind of terrifying, but also fascinating to behold and to be part of. Yeah, obviously with devastating impact, but um yeah, really important question. Thanks, Sam. You know, one of the things you touched on in terms of lessons, I think, from the pandemic is getting out of maybe a more sort of narrow frame of mind when it comes to a lot of these issues and considering decision making in terms of the broader stakeholders and regional differences that that there are in the world. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, one of the other things that the pandemic did was sort of serve as an accelerant to many of the innovations we we have today in in digital health. Um, and obviously that's sort of been a revolution that's sort of been picking up steam over the past many years. And, and you've certainly been at the, the forefront of that in, in much of your work. So how do you think digital health can transform and is indeed already transforming the way we think about health in sort of using the promise of technology to deliver more precise care? Mm. Yes, I think, I mean, I'm I'm so passionate about what tech can do in health. Um, tech is in every aspect of our lives. So of course, it should play a fundamental role in healthcare as well. And the possibilities are just so boundless from, you know, basic record keeping data stories to high tech AI, robotics, virtual reality. Um, and tech in the context of health, I think, Um, can impact, you know, helping patients, helping clinicians, helping data and processes, and then also helping build health systems. Um, So along the whole spectrum from diagnosis to treatment to then prevention, which is really key, um, and then all the way back to research and development um, and science as well. Um, for example, as we saw in COVID with vaccine development, which rapidly accelerated with the help of technology. Um, and I think um, in terms of healthcare, some specialties might be suited to particular digital or technologies, for example, mental health, um, very suited to offline to online, so e-consultations, because um, it's a specialty where talking therapy and human to human interaction without the need for um, other tests um, is quite good enough and oftentimes um, for things like radiology so AI assisted diagnostic imaging has seen massive advances and then for things like surgery medical robotics um, and even remote VR surgery is huge the exciting so I mean that's just a very short list just scratching the surface but endless list and it's hugely exciting um but i think 
where health and tech um, really converge and contrast um, is fundamentally and maybe ideologically the idea that health is evidence-based practice it's based it's steeped in tradition from a need to protect safety of, of patients so it's often very slow to move because of those barriers of safety and there is a lot of resistance to change um, and you contrast this with technology where you know sometimes it's seen as a wild west innovations come up within hours days nice. huge moves can suddenly be made and you see that in areas where, where that's allowed to happen you know fintech other types of deep tech sometimes you can just come up with an incredible idea and then move to implement it. And even if you make a mistake, that's fine. But you can't do that when it comes to human health because lives are at stake. Um, and we see differences in this kind of level of ambition and risk-taking across different countries. So for example, you know, the UK, the national health system, the health management structures makes it very difficult to integrate and test innovative ideas. So um, sometimes startups have a hard time here, um, but at the same time, because of the tradition and the legacy and the quality of the health system in the UK, then it still draws ideas and innovators in. Um, sometimes startups skip across from UK and Europe across to the US, where there's obviously a lot more money. Um, but the, the healthcare landscape in the US is obviously bonkers and completely yeah. fragmented, um, where there's a big gap between actual health impact versus making money. Um, and then if you go to Asia and if you look at China, for example, um, you know, China's made massive moves in tech advancements, not just in health. And we've seen really innovative new ideas coming across there. For example, um, the idea of internet hospitals. So moving everything from a physical hospital, brick and mortar, to online. Um, I think there's still massive moves to go, but the idea and concept of that has really sprouted up. So China, I think even in the past 21 or 22, has over now much more over 2000 internet hospitals yeah. whereas in you know in the uk and the us we have e-consultations we have app-based platforms but it's nowhere near the scale of in asia um so overall i think the impact of tech in health um depends on the creators the ideas and the talent but also the recipient the patient the clinician and the system that it integrates into and also kind of the lifestyle and the context in which each of the innovations can be used and i think the the perennial question within health tech wherever you are is really how can brilliant shiny ideas all dull but necessary ideas be integrated appropriately into whichever landscape you are in and I do think it's important to highlight here that sometimes the boring stuff is where it really matters I think even now for me I came back to London last year and I'm practicing as a clinician now part-time one of the hospitals I'm working in was still writing on paper so I, I write using my you know, horrible doctor's handwriting on scraps of paper. If I'm looking at a drug chart, I have to find it. And then if I write a drug wrong, I have to rewrite it. So how could we use tech to better promote kind of efficiency, quality, cost, equality, and then precision care tailored to the patient and the doctor in the system? It's really, really important. And then also, also I think the wider context of risk as well. We can't talk about tech and health without making sure there's a caveat for kind of safety, ethics, 
efficacy, where there are gaps in tech, you know, digitally literacy, um, making sure that, you know, equality is there across the board for patients, how to regulate any tech we create for health and how to ensure patients, um, uh, patient autonomy for health is really kind of considered in the right way. And, and that doctors who are maybe replaceable in a lot of contexts in the future, you know, chat GPT, any other AI system or otherwise, the human elements of, of care are still kind of maintained. Um, so all kind of really important considerations. Right. And I think that just speaks to how there's just so much more to do and to see in that space. Like we haven't even sort of realized the full the full potential of that, as you, you've mentioned you know, moving on, I guess, to a different aspect of your work, but they're all sort of interconnected. Your work is really focused on sort of international cooperation and utilizing global partnerships um, to drive public health improvements. Um, the past couple of years have have uh, tested our will as a society to uh, invest in public health and, and practice measures that really benefit all of us. Um, what has the pandemic uncovered in terms of the issues we face and how have your experiences at the global level help to demonstrate uh, the importance of health diplomacy in times of uncertainty. I know you spent uh, time in the United Nations as well as the British Foreign Office. Yeah, um, I think um, for, for my work over the past two years, which was based in Beijing, so as you said, for the British Foreign Office and then briefly at the United Nations in Beijing as well, um, for, as a blessing and a curse, it was throughout the pandemic. And I actually got the job before COVID. And so when the pandemic hit, I really had to take a step back and think, should I take that job and make a lot of kind of career and personal sacrifices to move to China at a time when the world was so uncertain in 2020? But I think for me, you know, that um, opportunity to focus on international cooperation and health um, the chance to kind of be in the eye of the storm, it would be such a unique opportunity um, and to make a difference was, was really incredible. So I'm really glad that I, I went there and learned from those roles. And to do that, I think, you know, I had to bring everything I had to the table as kind of a British Chinese doctor with previous kind of health tech experience, but kind of new to the health policy landscape. But that chance to work on international cooperation on COVID from within China, where COVID came out from, um, being able to directly engage with the Chinese health ministries, kind of academics, hospitals, working on policy, not just representing British government or the UN with China, but also working with other member states. So the other foreign embassies in China, working with other multilaterals, um, including, you know, Gates Foundation, World Bank, NGOs and so on, trying to understand how we can all better cooperate on health at a time when nothing was known and health was so infiltrated, I guess, by politics and by other non-scientific um, factors um, so it was very difficult but definitely fascinating and such a great learning experience for me and I think exactly as you said the importance of health diplomacy in times of uncertainty so that whole stakeholder list that I mentioned before and each with individual agendas and motivation and ability in, to influence certain parts of the whole. I mean, every month of the past two, three years, we've seen such 
great changes. Um, even, you know, the world today in March 23, um, we'll see that change by the time April rolls around. And, and health and public health, the way patients have responded, it's just, I don't know, the pace is kind of crazy to me. I mean, this month, you know, we've seen China come out of a massive wave of Omicron over, you know, estimated over a million at least deaths in the past few months as the country ended zero COVID. Compare that to the UK and, and the US where we are. Um, each country has suffered its own peaks of COVID much earlier, but with, you know, huge numbers of deaths due to completely different health policy implementation strategies directed by our leaders um, and guided by different forms of technical advisors. And I think, you know, we've seen how the world of public health has never been before so entangled mm -hmm. with other sectors, particularly politics and potentially to the detriment of the people in, yeah. in each country. So I think... I mean, I certainly don't have an answer, but I'm still kind of on the edges learning and absorbing how to better manage and deliver and make these decisions. Um, and I, as, as I mentioned just now, I think right now there's so much attention, health on the global stage. Um, so it's actually an exciting time to not let that focus go to waste, not only when it forces us to pay attention and care when we or our relatives become sick or when health impacts trade and the economy and geopolitics but making this a sustained momentum and, and bringing in place kind of higher level tools are actually effective but it's really really tough um, I mean there's a lot of interest and talk on um, the pandemic treaty which has been you know in the works since the past year or more um, who leads it, who coordinates it at a higher level, whether it will actually work compared to the mechanisms currently in place, um, how to ensure actors move and align by incentives um, or coercive models, how to place the right types of pressure on governments and on regulatory bodies, on technical bodies. Um, it's really hard, um, especially when we're all moving when we don't have the knowledge in place. There's been recent um, kind of research coming out about the impacts of long COVID, the, the impacts of um, the COVID virus on every organ in our bodies. That's still an unknown. Um, and we've had to work with the unknown in terms of COVID from the very beginning. I remember when I was working on the front line in London in 2020, um, you know, we were working without masks because we didn't have them. And at the time we didn't know what was needed. And it's crazy thinking back to that in such a short amount of time that the amount we've learned, but also the amount that there is to go. Um, but yeah, huge, hugely important. Hmm. It, 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 it sort of spells out this super complex dichotomy between, you mentioned month by month, all these changes are happening, but also thinking about these long-term changes in terms of the treaty and all these other different sort of conversations that are happening all throughout in the yeah. context of these short-term sort of just unknowns. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier in our discussion, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the things you're working on now. And obviously, as is the case in any other sector, let alone healthcare, um, many other factors, uh, different factors play a role uh, in the ultimate delivery of care. 
Um, can you talk about your experiences um, in industry and consulting firms and how the work of government and public service is balanced by the role of uh, private sector innovation, creating new treatments and models to improve uh, health and prevent disease? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I get, yeah, so definitely a lot of my work right now um, is, is building kind of the collective experiences across policy and development and governance versus tech and industry, and then also the clinical context too. And then also bridging kind of West and East. So um, it's a fascinating space to sit in between um, identifying opportunities for better understanding and collaboration, how to overcome market access barriers, regulatory processes, data challenges. But I do think um, whether it's private sector or or government um, and public sector, the core of the agenda should hopefully remain the same. Kind of the core value is um, all populations, all markets, if we put it that way, are faced with the same types of health challenges, aging populations, increase in chronic non-communicable diseases, which obviously is bracketed as COVID comorbidities too. And then also the challenges of how to better integrate tech into health, which is a must and not a could. So, um, I mean, how to work together better to, to identify kind of individual strengths and bring that collectively in the smartest way. And I, I see that, you know, for example, a lot of the f- big pharma firms that I've worked with and advised, they all recognize rightly that in order to access markets and bring their own products to the patients, whatever country it is, you can't simply focus on the commercial channels. You have to work with Gov because working with Gov promotes policy from the outside um, and then enables a longer term um, system capacity building so that their products can then access more patients through doctors and through health systems. They can't just simply sell to patients from kind of a private model Um, and having those external industry drivers who advocate uh, and promote resource then this in turn kind of enables government policymakers from within to move faster because they can't um, make themselves more efficient by themselves um, if that makes sense so it should be this kind of optimal cycle where government ensures industry is held accountable and that innovations are regulated in the right way, but then industry pushes Gov to move faster, you know, beyond its own internal bureaucracy. So this ideal ecosystem of kind of mutual learning and cooperation is maybe ideal, but I I feel like it is it is happening at various levels, and you know something like the pandemic hopefully pushes that momentum forward more. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly in the in the U.S. early in the pandemic, we saw a lot of collaboration, and as of late as well, between, for example, defense and uh, the testing uh, companies in terms of how do we roll mm-hmm. out the massive testing operation to to you know make tests accessible for people who who need them at, at a certain time. Um, so that's just one example, but obviously there's more to come. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, just for a, a last question here. Um, for young people who are interested in medicine in this intersection of health policy and public health that we've been discussing um, today, uh, what advice would you give based on your career and, and everything we've uh, discussed as well as future trends that you see moving forward? I think that's that's a great question. And I think, I mean, I think for me, I I love health because it's all about 
making a difference um and for any young people interested in this space i think that's absolutely awesome um and please continue to be passionate about this space because it's one that is in desperate need of you know smart motivated passionate people who have the energy and the drive to contribute creativity and ideas um you know we all have been sick ourselves or have loved ones that have suffered so everyone has a voice and experience to bring to the table no matter kind of what level you're at whether you're kind of a teenager looking to go into medical school whether you're someone much more experienced who wants to go into public health or you know career change whatever lens through which you view health um it needs kind of all the talent and the momentum that it can it can get so we can prevent kind of future global health challenges and be best prepared to do that. Um, and I think for me, it's been really exciting to work in this space, but at the same time, you know, in an, in an air, in a space where kind of creativity blends with technical expertise, the more I do, the more I recognize why I don't know yet myself and my own ignorance and, you know, the huge gaps I have yet to learn. And that's amazing at the same time, because you know, you get to continue to stay curious mm -hmm. and to continue to be motivated by trying to make a change for good whilst you grow yourself. Um, so I think it's hugely exciting. And I, I would, I guess, say that no matter what angle you come in on health and it's, it's there are so many transferable ways in which you can jump across different sectors and, and build build your career um I've really enjoyed it um and I would really recommend it and I love this whole network too when you are interacting with people who really care about you know wanting to do good for the world then you're driven by this kind of shared and acknowledged passion and that's really really nice so would highly recommend to anybody yeah absolutely and um Dr Wang thank you so much for for making time today and, and really sharing your thoughts it's really helpful I think to bring up a, a, a unique perspective to all these issues that we've discussed and, and really it means a lot thank you so much Sam it's lovely to talk to you thank you so much for listening and I hope my conversation with Dr Wang brought a unique perspective to the issues that are facing countries around the world as we learn from the COVID-19 pandemic to address disparities and implement strategies that transform care delivery promote multilateral cooperation, and spur innovation in healthcare services. Her extensive work bridging health, policy, and tech to improve care demonstrates a strong commitment to realizing the healthcare systems of tomorrow. So, I hope you're doing well and staying safe, and remember, we can't just consume healthcare, we have to understand healthcare.